basically the teacher is looking at an overall spectrum of starting anywhere from ninth grade to second grade learning level in the classroom. Everyone sitting under the same roof. Hey, this is Kumkum, and I welcome you all to our neighborhood. Our neighborhood, a wonderful, weird, frustrating, and fantastic place to learn about learning, growing, and that put in between education. In this podcast, we talk about everything from education, learning, teaching, technology, the science, policy, and everything in between. And most importantly, we are going to take you on a walk in our neighborhood to learn about all the educators around us who inspire us to do more. So stay tuned. One such educator, Murli Malikarjunan, has joined us today. He's a research and policy manager at JPAL South Asia. He works on a couple of education evaluation projects in Tamil Nadu and Rajasthan and engages with the government in evidence-based policy making and also scaling up those uh, activities. Before this, he's been a curriculum developer, teacher, business analyst, and an engineer. And uh, he had a pivot in his career when he joined the Teach for India Fellowship where he was teaching fourth and fifth graders. And that was a shift from corporate to social sector. Quite recently, he finished his master's degree in education, um, in specifically in international education policy from the Harvard Graduate School of Education. And today we have him here. So welcome, Murli. I'm very delighted to have you in our neighborhood. Thanks, Kumkum. Thanks a lot for the invite. Excited uh, to be on air. Yeah. Okay, so uh, you've had quite an interesting journey from uh, starting as an engineer, working in a corporate firm, and then pivoting towards becoming a teacher to fourth and fifth graders uh, by joining the Teach for India Fellowship. And then after those two years, you went into building curriculum and you headed curriculum for a non-profit and then switching to policy making. And before that, you were also... Uh, testing the route of going through UPSC and then you left that route and today you are involved in supporting the governments with policy making through research. So there's a lot of transitions happening here. So can you shed some more light on your story that how and why you're doing what you're doing today? Yeah, yeah, as you uh, as you put it, definitely have wandered a lot here and there and as like uh, one of the goals were like uh, all who wander are not lost kind of like I've been lucky enough to find the path in all my wanderings so yeah I think I started with like uh, when I was in school and I think that's the usual path uh, I was taking I was taking kind of just like uh, got good marks got into engineering colleges and after that like got into corporate sector but then it was almost like uh, one or two years into the corporate sector I think the uh, probably like the crisis bug bit me too in terms of uh, can I continue the same thing uh, for the rest of my life like the PPTs and Excels and all that and the, and I think it was more in terms of the gratification but also like do I get the most gratification out of what I'm doing and I think that started the shift towards okay let's think of what can be the most impactful uh, journey that you could take and then, uh, just like any other engineering kid, like uh, UPSC, IAS, and all that, with all the large you know, that that was like the most fascinating option. And then uh, me and my friend, I think we had this call, and we were like, "Dude, 
see even for upsc they are just having aptitude test only engineering has given us that much skill so let's actually just like get into that and uh, then we decided to kind of like uh, get into the upsc journey but then the thought was if at all i'm planning to work in the social sector itself in upsc then why spend a large chunk of my day in the corporate sector why not shift to the social sector itself and actually just like start working over there and uh, that year like in 2013 then uh, thought of like applying to fellowships uh, so then one two fellowships at that time was one was a lamp fellowship that works with policy makers and other was uh, teach for india and 2014 being an election year uh as in uh, the organizers told that like yeah i don't think none of the mps are going <laughs> to like do a lot of policy work this year so uh so we're going to scrap that they're going to just campaign yes, everyone's in like yeah. campaign mode so then not much of a learning yeah. this year so in that case they uh pulled off uh, the lamp fellowship and then i got into teach for india and then the journey into the social sector began from there yeah i see so you accidentally got like got pushed to education because you didn't get the other fellowship right. is that yeah correct? so it's kind of like the life is a path of lot of mistakes and uh, coincidences so in that way like that's definitely one big coincidence that happened and uh, that kind of like shifted <laughs> okay. my journey towards the education sector so from 2013 it has been uh, sticking to that education sector that way and as you mentioned like even with the upsc path i think like after a couple of attempts like uh, going to interviews and after that like upsc didn't mm-hmm. work out so then the pivot was okay like if that's uh, if that's not materializing then what's the next best option that we can work on so then uh, the searching started in terms of even in the education sector like what should i be doing and uh, definitely the mm. teach for india fellowship gave probably just like sowed the seeds of uh, a lot of self introspection at that time i don't know like, even my parents scold me like dude the tfa fellowship has spoiled your life what are you talking after that <laughs> oh. so like what kind of things are you talking about now yeah that definitely is a pivoting point so one just to hmm. uh see the uh, the classroom being it's almost like a probably just a reflective space which gives you feedback immediately like whatever you're doing it's just an extension of you and seeing the kids shape up looking at you probably the things that i taught intentionally yeah. or probably like mostly i didn't teach intentionally like picking up all of that and they just becoming an extension of yeah. you definitely like instill the thought in terms of uh, mm-hmm. as uh, uh, it said like the change starts from you in terms of like then what and do i want to mm. shape my life towards and uh, okay. after that i was also like working with curriculum development uh, yeah with yeah. bhumi and ngo in chennai and mm. after that like two years then again like uh, the same bug bit me in terms of what i doing in mm. terms of so just because i okay. taught uh, a classroom for two years does that make me worthy enough to design a curriculum that uh, kids are going to just like mm. uh, learn from for the probably like in the rest of the life so in that case what skills do i have and uh, so yeah. first of all do i have that much of experience or probably just like exposure uh, that that is required to probably just like mm-hmm. give me the right uh, structures for the kids so after that i think like 
kind of went on a road trip visiting a lot of alternate schools and the circling around like uh-huh. uh learning to dif- uh, talking to different educators learning from them in terms of what they mm-hmm. think of education over there so like met quite of interesting people over there so then that brought me to a point that probably i'm not yet ready to directly just like go and start contributing in the education mm-hmm. space but i need to kind of like upskill myself or give me that uh space to kind of explore the education space a lot more and uh, uh-huh. that's how kind of just like applying for a masters happened and uh, yeah what better reflective space yeah. you can one ask for so <laughs> and that channeled my uh career path towards uh research and policy especially kind of just like trying to impact at scale yeah that's where it is now mm-hmm. yeah. okay wow that that's a lot of uh, you know steps before um uh, a lot a lot of understanding and questioning has gone into what you're doing today and maybe your the habit which you inculcated in yourself that you were questioning yourself and now you're kind of in a profession where where you are questioning um, the government the data and the evidence for uh, for decision making so it's kind of it shows an arc over there so uh, let, let's go towards that current um, work of yours and understand like what you do on a day to day basis and uh, you work in research for education you work with jpal which is a global uh, research think tank um, which and the aim of that organization is to reduce poverty across the world and focused on specific developing countries so how do you come into picture in that and what does research for policy making mean right right so uh so i kind of like got this unique opportunity to work on both on the research and the policy front uh because when you look at research so uh, the first thing that comes to our mind is probably testing out certain things and probably figuring out does it work or not just like in covid times everyone is yeah. uh familiar with the terms like okay they are doing the control trial it will take like uh, this much time for the medicine to come out in the same mm-hmm. way uh just thinking in terms of why can't that rigor and why can't that amount of testing be put in place for the social sector so then the research side of the portfolio helps me to kind of just like uh engage with uh up to date research that's happening in terms of figuring out in the social sector like what kind of solutions work and what kind of solutions need more okay. exploration to so that's so this is beyond education when you're saying social sector, yes because so your current work spans beyond uh so in terms of like uh yeah. jpal overall like uh, jpal works across uh 10 different sectors so in that case kind of like there is a flexibility I to see. move across different sectors and even when i look at my current uh projects so though it's mostly concentrated on education there is also like the component of uh early childhood development and nutrition and also in I that see. so definitely okay those are yes, related yes. kind of a more holistic approach to yes, education yes so in that way that has uh coincidentally been my specialization for the last one year because when i got into the role it was like uh it wasn't guaranteed that i would specialize in education but uh luckily uh happened to kind of the two three projects yeah. that i worked on are related to education in tamil nadu and uh, uh rajasthan so in that way like on the research side uh the crux of it would be that see even in education sector when we think of 
uh, what pill will help uh, make this education better so then it's unfortunately it's not like the matrix style blue or red pill so there are like multiple pills over here <laughs> so you can work on teacher training you can work on providing resources you can work on uh, yeah. uh, providing uh, computerated learning so there is like so many things that you can do but then from the policy maker side the constraint is definitely resources so which pill do you invest on mm. so that becomes very uh, critical so then finding the answer to that becomes the crux of the research part and uh, on the right. policy front on the policy front i would uh, think of uh, myself as thought partnering with the government uh, in terms of mm. uh, partnering okay. in terms of what has been their exploration like like and in terms of providing an aggregation of the research and evidence yeah. that is relevant to that particular sector so in that way uh, okay. definitely like the government and the officials are quite bogged down with their day to day activities and uh, yeah they are <laughs> like definitely yeah. super busy and in that our uh, from the policy front like our effort would be to uh, make their life easier and provide a consolidation mm. of the relevant research that can strengthen policies yeah. or probably further the thought behind the policies so that is the crux behind uh, evidence based mm. policy informing yeah yeah that that's a very interesting bridge between research and policy making and you being kind uh, you know at the center of both of mm. that and that makes sense uh, of how you explained um, you know that you're as an individual contributor you are consuming the research which is happening across uh, the world in this sector and you are trying to make sense of it and then you i mean um, making it into an information which can be consumed by the mm. government and, and translating in in it into their uh, policy you know requirements or uh, uh, data which feeds into their decision making okay. and so that that's a very end to end kind of a work you're doing there and uh, like i'm sure your training at the grad school has prepared you for that but uh, i don't know if grad school prepares uh, you know us for working going in and working with the government directly right. and uh, because that's a totally different side of the world and how right. they work um, how they see things how they make decisions what kind of constraints they um, Right. have so like talk about transitioning to working with the government sector and what are the challenges uh, for you as an individual uh, to work with them and for the, from the government side also since you have seen their right. side and this like good to discuss that <laughs> yeah right right i think that definitely the transition was a very tricky part uh, for me to say because uh, i think like having worked in the corporate sector and uh, mostly like having imbibed the corporate values and the uh, the mm. norms of the corporate sector so like from that and also trying to understand uh, what are my inherent biases towards the government and what judgments do i bring to the table when i am engaging with the government and being mm. aware of that uh, was definitely a very tricky process because uh, yeah usually that's norm that uh, when i talk to people in terms of like Uh, for them to associate inefficiency or probably uh, lethargy mm -hmm. or delays red tape <laughs> and bureaucracy like everything that's uh, 
uh yeah that's kind mm. of like slightly tells on the negative connotation for the government and definitely i i think i'm also guilty of having uh the same judgments but while mm. engaging with the government it was uh in a way a lot teen probably just like uh evolving myself from that judgments so mm-hmm. so yeah there have yeah. been like definitely on the negative side there have been also moments like where uh i have just like sent a mail addressing the person by his first name and then like all hell broke loose because i did not put a mister <laughs> that oh. so that that instances have all also yeah. been there but at the same time there have been instances where i have seen like uh, government officials like working day in and day out like so morning 10 to kind of just like evening 7:38 or even over the weekends uh they kind of just like uh yeah. burning doll trying to go through the multiple proposals that they have so in that mm-hmm. way like uh my personality has shifted from a point where uh not losing hope from the government but also kind of like understanding mm-hmm. their dead uh, understanding the challenges and also being hopeful with respect to the government yeah. and so uh so probably just like hmm. uh to code experience is that so one experience where i'm probably just like meeting the director of a department so then you can imagine like the director yeah. of a department and like the corporate setting like the director uh, has like a uh, a nice room like a uh, nice room and there are like multiple chairs minimum like 15 chairs over there for people waiting for his time mm. and definitely he has like piles and yeah. piles of files on his desk and uh, yeah on yeah. any day you can expect him to meet 50 to 100 people with coming with different and oh. going through like multiple files and yeah. uh, giving approvals or multiple projects mm-hmm. some projects might span like a lot of crores so then the pressure that an officer sitting at that level has to go through and the kind of decision making that the person has to make taking in consideration of so many different factors is huge so i would definitely say yeah. that like at their level uh, i have seen a lot of people who are putting their best effort forward so then for me it is mm. that i am working in his territory and i am supporting in his territory and i cannot expect him to have the mind space to break out of his systemic yeah. challenges whatever it might be like but yeah. break out of his systemic challenges and understanding my world so then i have to put my effort to mm. understand his world his context or her context and engage with him in mm. the language that he or she understands so that has been a huge yeah. learning for me to figure out mm. okay like even in government offices if files are the norm so yeah. why are the files are the norm Correct. what are the channels through which files Correct. go and for them for them to take a decision if there are multiple stakeholders involved what are all the things that they are mindful about mm. so it's yeah. mostly in terms of putting the onus of learning on myself than yeah, yeah. on them so that has been definitely a tough mm. part yeah. okay yeah i i think that's a very unique perspective there and also very i would say balanced there and as you said even you've evolved in those having those biases for the government and now having a more balanced outlook towards it and kind of going in with a hope that do what you can with whatever systemic uh, constraints you've inherited or whatever is the reality so just go in with that and um, i i am seeing that 
um, evolution in the mindsets of people who have been working with the government. And I've seen that myself uh, while working with the Ivory Ivorian government uh, in their education department. And I saw people, they were like super hardworking. Definitely. And I spent three weeks with them and, uh, you know, I could have not imagined uh, their right. life. And these are people who are chief inspectors and secretaries and they were ready to support me as a, you know, a research consultant working with them. They were ready to support me in any way I can. Just like they would travel with me to the to the remotest part of the country and all of that. So uh, I think having that firsthand experience it definitely matters there. And also maybe it, the evolution has happened on both sides in the way we think about how the government works and in the way how they work. So that, that brings me yeah. to a question of like, what is the kind of appetite the government has for, uh, you know, consuming research and data? Do they have those kind of um, uh, time cycles to wait for some research to come out, some kind of evidence to come out? And uh, um, how much would they trust and uh, something like you go to them and tell them about uh, um, an evidence-based uh, approach towards decision-making. So just tell us about I would that. say definitely the appetite has increased a lot. And I'm actually like surprised. Uh, I was pre- surprised a lot in uh, most of my encounters with like uh, IS officers or probably just like in the government staff in terms of their ability to consume data and uh, their ability to kind of like connect that data to real life decision making over there so in that way like it has evolved mm-hmm. a lot so even uh, when you think of like uh, randomized control trials or evidence or database uh, policies like i don't think this much uh, interaction between think tanks or policy sectors and the government was there even like 10 years back or for that matter like uh, six to seven years back the discourse has shifted a lot where okay. probably people did not even understand a randomized control trial where if you go to a meeting the first question was like okay randomization are you playing lottery or what with <laughs> so that will be like first okay. uh, impression to it has come to a point where people even when i go to like district level offices people understand what is a treatment arm what is a control arm so yeah, so in that way, kind of like definitely the discourse has shifted a lot. And at the top level in terms of like uh, uh, chief secretaries or at the IS levels, I would say like the mm-hmm. uh, appetite to consume data and evidence has definitely yeah. increased a lot. But it has its own challenges in yeah. terms of uh, they have multiple uh, factors to consider in it's not like just because there is an evidence mm-hmm. they'll be able to immediately like uh, take that evidence and actually just like uh, create a new policy out of it there are certain instances that have happened but yeah. then there are also certain challenges in terms of like first of all how do you contextualize the evidence like how do you think of an evidence that's mm-hmm. there in some other country or probably just like some other state within yeah. India and how does yeah. uh uh, and officers see that being relevant and impactful to the context of the state that he or she is working mm-hmm. on. So in that case, I would say like uh, the dialogue is there, that engagement is there, that willingness is there, which is itself a huge thing. But in terms okay. of how does that get transformed into direct policies? So on that part, mm-hmm. there is a lot of work that needs to be done, even from the government side and also from the yeah 
organizations such as say for example even in the current covid crisis so the there are like multiple Correct. governments that are engaging like so jpal we are working with uh, punjab and uh, west bengal and so and even in tamil nadu we had like a couple of conversations so in that sense like first so for the governments they have uh, very specific needs in terms of uh, what needs to be done and probably some of those questions are not something that have been much researched upon to so then that is a sector hmm. where probably like as researchers we have to concentrate more on and there have been certain instances where uh, some of the recommendations that are like uh, based out of evidence are not immediately relevant to the covid crisis so the government is kind of like trying to uh, do the fire fighting to kind of like make the health care a bit uh, sober and then kind of like also take care of the long term policy framing so Mm-hmm. yeah i would say like definitely that is a lot yeah. of appetite but does that change into okay. actual on ground policies then there are multiple links to work on <laughs> okay yeah and, uh, that's a fair uh, assessment murli uh, and uh, i've been thinking about this that this question would come to you a lot that why is research even needed in the first place right mm-hmm. even a lay person would right. uh, uh, come up and if you ask them what needs to be done in education they'll come up and throw at least four to five ideas at you and say that mm-hmm. teachers should be paid more so that they are more motivated change the textbooks they haven't been changed or this and that and whatever and increase the funding uh, in education right. so why is research needed in the first place and uh, and if all these insights are so obvious then what value add is research bringing to it or what is a kind of a cost benefit analysis of doing a um, six month research uh, onto some topic right, right i think that's a very very important question that uh, often comes to in terms of like why uh, is research required like sometimes uh, the uh, the findings of the research people might say that okay this is something that's like very obvious that's something that we know so yeah. say for example like one of the flagship uh, Uh, research evidences has been like one of the most effective has been uh, teaching at the right level uh evidence and uh, when you kind of like think of teaching at the right level it is basically that uh every child irrespective of the grade where they are in terms of their actual level of academic proficiency they need to be they met they the teaching needs to be met at that level of academic proficiency not at the grade that they are assigned it so when you think of it it's like okay. quite obvious right like that's something that they have to do so like even kartik murlidharan had a nice paper and a nice graph that he says that like uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, even at uh, when you look at grade for mathematics even the 75 75th percentile kid is on an average 3 to 4 grade levels lower than what is required at his grade level oh. so that's something mm-hmm. astonishing so then when you think of it like a teacher if the teacher is looking at a ninth grade class then the 75th percentile is just at mm-hmm. fourth standard or fifth grade level then think of like all the oh. uh, probably just like the median or probably yeah. just like people are lower then definitely the teacher is looking at an overall spectrum of starting anywhere from ninth grade to second grade learning level <laughs> in the classroom sitting under the same everyone group. sitting under the same group so then even like uh, say like uh, abhijit banerjee and yesterday also quote that like some of the earlier differences 
get magnified hmm. into uh, the later years like in the school years like where there are like initial differences that kind of like with the schools you mean the learning yes, gap. the learning gap yes widens. it widens through the year then it becomes very obvious that okay. need, the student need to be taught at the right level so but the research what the research focuses on is that like when you say teaching at the right level there are multiple ways of doing it right so either the hmm. teacher himself or herself can teach all the children as per their levels we can have multiple uh, different yeah. uh, groups within the classroom or probably you can have like mm-hmm. just a special class towards the end and in the special class mm-hmm. uh, the students could be grouped at their level or probably you could have a volunteer from the community who's recruited who does that or probably you have like special class during summer vacation yeah. in which yeah. you do or it could be something like you have a technology uh, intervention then that technology intervention kind of is like recently there have been lot of ai developed tools that pick up what the level in the child is so mm-hmm. uh, or you could probably just like give them multiple materials or books according to which the child's level is so there are like multiple ways of doing and it's very simple to say that we need teaching at the right level but then to figure out like <laughs> what exactly that means when we are thinking of implementation right yeah. so from the policy side it's yeah. for the person who's actually signing off on a particular scheme that becomes very important so in mm. that case like even when you look at the tal research there have been like multiple rcts right and so some some of okay. the rcts were like in maharashtra and gujarat there were like positive impacts in in school and probably there was like another mm. uh, research study in bihar and uttarakhand so where in school teachers themselves they actually taught at the right level so but then there wasn't much impact okay. impact was less so then the finding was oh. that even though the teacher our teachers are nudged to do that but the curricular and exam pressures do not allow them the mind space and mm. the physical space to actually just give oh. them the specific grade level intervention so then it mm. went on to explore that yeah. uh, there was an rct done in uh, Haryana, where they had like dedicated teaching time for the teachers, so that gave very promising results. Yeah, yeah. For teachers, this is the time. Yeah, I think that was the one with the BCG project coming. Mm, maybe, in. yeah, not a BCG part. So, so then, okay. and even there was like one where dedicated Pratham volunteers uh, take special classes yeah. in UP, so which had the most impact. So then, thinking of. Mm. something as obvious but when you break it down to specific implementation level details so how the yes and, and what works out of that so in that way i think like as mm. esther says like economists these days are more like plumbers who are trying to like work out <laughs> the spec the specific question of the piping to make sure that specific yes, nut and yeah yeah bolt. so yeah. that's exactly where research is important so for example there was like yeah. another uh, multiple thing in terms of computer aided learning that's something the talk of the town mm-hmm. like computer aided learning yeah. very important yeah now especially exactly now especially. exactly in yeah. the corona time there's like everything is going online uh, so first for someone to say that computer aided learning is something that's great so but there are multiple mm-hmm. questions so some of the research says that computer aided learning is not leading to any impact so when then thinking of what is the best mm-hmm. way to uh, channelize the computer learning so one important learning for yeah. us has been what does the computer learning replace so if at all mm-hmm. that uh, computer learning comp 
component is replacing class time, then there has been like no impact or probably a negative impact. But oh, there has okay. been impacts where like say MindSpark uh, was actually tested out in Delhi and Rajasthan where mm-hmm. MindSpark is like one more a version of say like figuring out the level of the student, the computer automatically figures okay. out the level of the students and the students are challenged at that level. But when that was given as an after-school additional program, then there were like very significant results of it. So basically that did not replace an existing mm. time, but actually is added to an existing time. So that I distinction know. of breaking down something very obvious to something practically implementable and having the evidence to which works mm. and which doesn't. So that's where the research becomes very critical. Those were the two things. And I see there is a... There was a very recent paper from uh, Karnataka. Uh, mm-hmm. There's one, I think in Karnataka, there's like Akshara Foundation had a, yeah, yes. Ganita Kalika Andolan. Yes. yes. So, so that was also almost like activity based learning and figuring out like mm-hmm. uh, what is effective and does that have impact over there. And this is something like very recent. Yeah. But then here also the results were quite mixed. So we did not have, mm. this, is, this is not like a JPAL paper, but uh, this was a recent paper that I was reading about where uh, the teaching materials in classroom that did not have very uh, significant or substantial impact in terms of student learning outcomes. So then it actually just gives right. a thought in terms of when you look at activity, the theory of change of an activity-based learning. So then what are all mm-hmm. the different components that need to be in place for you to achieve the expected outcome. And then the research allows you to test out the different cogs uh, in the system to figure out, okay, like if this is one Mm. place which is faulty, then definitely the overall impact will not be achieved. And without research, probably we might just assume that it's it's seems right to have activity business or it mm. feels right yeah. to have computer-aided learning so we should just go ahead and do that but probably we are right in spirit <laughs> but not in implementation that yeah. is eventually going to be a waste of the resources mm. yeah. yeah so I think the plumber analogy has stuck into my <laughs> mind and <laughs> I would use that for, for for all people who are working in these right. domains um, but uh, yeah, this makes sense. I mean, uh, maybe the problem is obvious, but the solution and alternatives to that is not as obvious. Mm. And we think, as you're saying, it might seem right, but those solutions might not be right. Like paying more to the teachers might not solve all the problems. Maybe because, uh, you know, if you see the ratio of tax uh, teacher salaries to per capita GDP, maybe a few countries are already higher on that front than others. So these technicalities or specifics like this, which only, you know, data and deep research can provide you will will help in uh, being more thoughtful and cautious about such huge stake decisions because these these decisions really affect our yeah. scale when it comes from um, a state government or a central government. So the ramifications are huge in that case. It's it's not something reversible right, as right. easily. So that, that really... Uh, it's, it's, I think, a great point to, uh, you know, summarize that uh, we talked about how you transition to policy and research and why you do that and what actually means. And then uh, I think thank you for sharing examples. I mean, TARL 
teaching at the right level is a uh, is an is a very active case study which is uh, which is followed across the world actually mm. this uh, methodology was developed by pratham if i'm mm. not wrong and um, i i saw this uh, being followed uh, when i was in ivory coast and in the remotest village and a school which has no roof they were following the methodology of teaching at the right level and they knew about pratham and uh, instructors had gone from india to train teachers there and it's it's zero cost so uh, these are good developments to see and talk about today so thank you so much bodhi for coming in and giving us your time if i may add to the previous answer in terms of uh, from the government's implementation perspective why the research on the actual implementation process is important okay yeah, yeah. yeah. so uh, actually uh, even just like thinking in terms of on the policy front of like how the government works so then uh, mm-hmm. even when think of like for government giving an open solution that uh, probably introducing cal or teaching at the right level uh works probably like the yeah. higher excellence of it the secretaries the ias officer they might resonate with it and they might be able to like uh right. decode what it means to say that teaching at the right level works and how it needs to be implemented so but unfortunately mm-hmm. like within the government even when you look at the actual uh, field level bureaucrats who are actually implementing it the communication between the high level officers to them is through files Yeah. or probably just like very minimal uh, impact so then whatever gets translated mm. from the officers to them is basically the mechanics of what needs to be implemented probably the spirit of it might <laughs> get lost so in when you think uh, of like uh, i think there was a book uh, see narisham narish saxena uh, former ias officer he also quotes lamp richard saying that like when you look at india uh, the bureaucratic system of it it has like pentabulous officers at its head is like mm. very brilliant mm-hmm. very strong officers at its head but when you think of like the nerves and uh, uh, all the sinews and limbs that connect uh, that connected to the limbs and feet so that's where kind of things mm-hmm. get lost so basically you have a mastermind mm-hmm. sitting at the top but very disconnected from the final implementation like so then there is a lot of chance mm. of things getting lost so in that way getting the specifics right will help the communication yeah. translate overall in the government structure so in that way like mm. those nitty gritties and as you mentioned like the plumbing of it is becomes quite important yeah <laughs> sorry to break that okay. yeah flow yeah. yeah no 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 that's uh, yeah that's an interesting uh, observation mm. and uh, maybe uh, Yeah now is the time to jump on to the trivia questions i wanted to ask you what would be your last meal like meal you could eat every time and in turn <laughs> <laughs> the last totally unrelated to whatever you've been talking for last 45 minutes right right last meal definitely chicken biryani with momed chicken fry yeah <laughs> mm that is interesting and maybe now is a good time to let you go to so that you can ask your mom to cook that uh, okay so uh, thanks mudri for joining us and to our listeners who want to connect with him or follow him you can find him on uh, linkedin so his name is uh, full name is mudli malikarjunan and uh, he's happy to talk to you if you have any further questions and thank you all for joining in and we look forward to 
uh, seeing you in the next episode of our neighborhood so stay tuned and have yeah. a good day thanks a lot kumkum and prashant for having me over here it was really fun uh, interacting with you all so just like <laughs> yeah thanks a lot for having me over here.